In the 1940s, two dreadful things were created. The atomic bomb and the teenager. Two such devastating and noisy things must have had an effect on popular culture, and so it was. Post-war America was booming. Money and glamour was there to be had, and if you couldn't have them, you could at least make a good pretense of having them by escaping your humdrum world by retreating to your bedroom to listen to records. We've all done it, I'm sure. And what was pop music of the post-war era telling us? Well, very often it was telling us about teenagers with broken hearts. And the so-called death disc or teenage tragedy song was very popular, with songs such as Teen Angel, Tell Laura I Love Her, and Leader of the Pack, making doomed love and early death a romantic thing. But death appeared in 1950s pop music in a different way. And it was a way that had nothing to do with dead girlfriends found clutching your ring or boys dead in car crashes or motorbike accidents. No, this was a death like no other. A death brought by the newly invented atomic bomb. A death which wouldn't just kill the hunky boyfriend on his motorbike or the doomed prom queen in the car. This death would take us all. We would all go together when we go. we'll all go together when we go. What a comforting fact that is to know. Universal bereavement, an inspiring achievement. Yes, we all will go together when we go. We will all go together when we go. All suffused with an incandescent glow. No one will have the endurance to collect on his insurance. Lloyds of London will be loaded when they go. We will all fry together when we fry. That is probably the most famous of the atomic songs of the 50s. Certainly it's my favourite. It's We Will All Go Together When We Go by the genius Tom Lehrer. The song from 1959 prods us to look on the bright side of the nuclear holocaust because at least we'll all die together. The song is not shy or twee despite its tinkly little tune. It talks of how we will all fry together and how we will all char together. Another verse revels in how we will all bake together when we bake. There will be nobody present at the wake with complete participation in that grand incineration, nearly three billion hunks of well-done steak. Now, doesn't that just sum up the American 50s for you? Sweet on the surface, sweet and wholesome. Daddy at work and mommy at home baking apple pies and the kids playing outside and a gargantuan mushroom cloud just waiting to creep and claw its way across the garden. Sweet and yet suffused with dread. And if that particular scene chills you, I recommend the Ray Bradbury short story There Will Come Soft Rains. 
So there is a jaunty resignation in Tom Lehrer's song. Ah well, if we're going to die, at least we'll all go together. But there was another way of confronting the atomic bomb, and that was with not resignation, but abandon. The notion that if we're going to die tomorrow, then let's live today. Let's be daring. Let's forget what the stuffy adults say. They've had their lives after all, whereas we teenagers are just starting. And yet it might all be taken away from us. So let's climb on the back of that motorbike with the boy from the wrong side of the tracks. Forget being good and obedient because there might not be a future. And so maybe that explains the 1950s notion of the rebellious teenager, the rebel without a cause. Maybe all those death discs about young love killed by the train and the car and the motorbike were actually about young life being wiped out by the bomb. Jeff Nuttall in his book Bomb Culture says the people who had passed puberty at the time of the bomb found they were incapable of conceiving life without a future. The people who had not yet reached puberty at the time of the bomb were incapable of conceiving of life with a future. And so to hell with it. Put on your leather jacket and chew a matchstick and rev up your bike. Mum and Dad would rather you stayed at home and studied and went to college and became a doctor and married a nice girl and blah, blah, blah. But why bother when you could be dead in half an hour? And of course, what could be more rebellious and daring as a teenager than sex? And so we have the song Fujiyama Mama by Wanda Jackson, which equates the furious power of the atom bomb to her orgasm. Lucky her. Wanda Jackson was known in the 50s as the Queen of Rockabilly and once dated Elvis Presley. This song from 1957 is very politically incorrect, mentioning Nagasaki and Hiroshima in order to tell us what a fun old time she's been having in bed. And yet, the song went to number one in Japan. It yoked together atomic war and sex the two things which were surely dwelling on any 50s teenager's mind. And by fusing them in this way, it helped create that sense of abandon, that hey-why-worry attitude which must have made parents shudder, which was more horrifying for a prim, middle-class parent. Little Sally getting nuked, or Little Sally getting pregnant? But hey-why-worry, right? Songs like Fujiyama Mama caught that feeling of abandon and turned it into a hit song. Nuclear Sex pops up again in 13 Women and Only One Man in Town by Bill Haley and his Comets. He sings of a nuclear war which has devastated the town, leaving only him and 13 women. We can assume that the surviving women are pretty, 
as he seems quite chirpy about the whole thing. I had two girls every morning Seeing that I was well fed And believe you me One sweetened my teeth While another one buttered my bread Two girls gave me my money Two girls made me my clothes And another sweet thing bought me a diamond ring About 40 carats I suppose Well, 13 women and only one man in town now, none of these 13 women are horribly injured or burned, and they're all still able to <laughs> dance and make him his tea and butter his bread. The town has just been hit with the bomb, so where's the horror? Ah, but then at the end of the song, we find out it was all just a luscious dream, a fantasy of having all those women to himself to take care of his every need. Now, why didn't he have this fantasy set on a desert island, for example? That'll be far more pleasant than a bombed town. He could have been shipwrecked on some paradise with all these 13 women. Why did it have to happen in a town after a nuclear explosion? Maybe, and let's get dark here, maybe it's because of a deep very deep hidden fantasy which some people might entertain of being completely in charge after a devastating nuclear war so the thinking goes only the macho men will survive the preppers those with guns those with muscle those who know how to hunt and skin an animal those tough enough to pull shards of glass from their arm these big tough men will be in charge after nuclear war. And these big tough men can probably do whatever they want. On a desert island, the 13 women might well have told him to get lost as they watched the horizon, confident that help was coming. Not so in a bombed town where these 13 women might realise that their only hope of survival is to curry favour with the big tough man. But have I read too much into this funny little song? Maybe the band were just trying to hitch their wagon to this new bomb that everyone was talking about. Maybe that's all it is. And I've dwelled far too long in nuclear horror. But I've been told uranium ore is worth more than gold. So Macad, I bought me a jeep. I got that bug and I can't sleep. Uranium fever has gone and got me down. Uranium fever is spreading all around. With a Geiger counter in my hand. I'm going out to take me some government land. Uranium fever has gone and got me down. Now with pleasure, let's turn to something more cheery. There was a glut of songs in the 50s about, believe it or not, uranium. And these generally had a cheery, chirpy tone, as they all seemed to recall the gold rush of the 1840s. Uranium, of course, was needed for military use, for the bombs, 
and for civilian use to fuel nuclear plants. And so there was a uranium mining boom in the late 50s. Mines popped up in Colorado, Utah, Wyoming, Texas and Oregon. States which, to a certain type of sentimental person, represent real America. A hearty, pure and wholesome America. The America of cowboys and mountains and pioneers and... And, uh, uh, uranium. Uranium fever has gone and got me down. These songs tended to have a folksy tone, trying to capture the feel of the Old West and the Old Ways. You could imagine them being sung around a campfire, or perhaps played on a plinky old piano in an Old West saloon. This new element being pulled from the ground... Okay, I know it wasn't exactly new, but the purpose for which it was being mined was new. New and ever so alarming. This new scenario was perhaps eased and soothed and neutralised by these sentimental songs which paired the mining of uranium with the good old days of the gold rush. The glamorous gold rush and the idea of the handsome, tough cowboy had been glossed and presented back to us by Hollywood. And now, pop music was trying to do the same for the uranium mining boom. Even sweet, innocent Doris Day had a uranium song called Tick, Tick, Tick. Be a bird, it doesn't try to fly. It came about because they made a big atomic bomb. The new invention's clicking and because of all it's ticking I know where the idea came from I tick, tick, tick Why do I tick, tick? What amazing trick Makes me tick, tick, tick I tick, tick, tick An electric tick When I feel a realistic tick You're such an attractive hick Give me a radioactive kick It's distracted the way you stick But love Not one of her best ones, I'd say. But there we are. Songs to make uranium mining jaunty and spirited and adventurous. And certainly nothing to do with, to quote from Wikipedia, uranium ore emits radon gas. The health effects of high exposure to radon are a particular problem in the mining of uranium. Significant excess lung cancer deaths have been identified in epidemiological studies of uranium miners employed in the 1940s and 1950s. The folksy, good-hearted, all-American style can also be found in songs in the 50s dealing with other horror subjects such as nuclear testing and the confrontation with the Soviets. Some of the songs, such as Tom Lehrer's The Wild West is Where I Want to Be, is very obvious satire, talking of nuclear testing out in the West and full of plenty of yee-haws and mention of sagebrush and cactus and desert breeze. The same good old down-to-earth American values can be found in the song No No Joe by Hank Williams, which takes the form of the singer giving Stalin a good old telling off. It's not an angry song, and you could never call it a protest song, and there's no arrogance or there's no imperious tone to it. It feels like Hank Williams is sitting at the bar or on his porch as the sun goes down, giving Stalin some well-meant, but still mighty tough, good advice. 
Now look here, Joe, quit acting smart. Stop being that old brazen sort. Don't you go sell this country short. No, no, Joe. Just because you think you found a system that we know ain't sound, don't you go throwing your weight around. No, no, Joe. Cause the Kaiser tried it and Hitler tried it, Mussolini tried it too. Now they're all sitting around the fire and did you know something? They're saving a place for you. But these songs of the era which were jolly or jaunty or cheery can't be blamed for failing to understand the truth and emerging horror of the nuclear age. Because in the 1950s, the new atomic power which has been unleashed was portrayed as a force for good and potentially for peace. We were told that this new atomic energy would give us electricity too cheap to meter. We'd no longer need to rely on dirty old coal and oil. And we'd soon all be zooming about in atomic cars. President Eisenhower delivered a famous speech known as Atoms for Peace. And this began a campaign by America to convince their own country and the world that the atom was good. There was even a travelling exhibit which journeyed across Europe, spreading the message that nuclear power was a force for good. When the exhibit reached Rome, the ambassador read out a statement from Eisenhower about the positive potential of the atom. It said, From among the numberless generations which have peopled this planet, Destiny has called upon those now living to reach decisions on the use of nuclear energy that will govern a major measure of the future of mankind. Never before has man's wisdom and vision been so supremely tested. Never again may man have so extraordinary an opportunity for his own betterment or so awful a responsibility to his own fate. So great is his opportunity, so grave this responsibility, that all rational humans are moved humbly to pray that this new knowledge may be used in its fullness for peace, for progress and for freedom. Now, I feel obliged to mention the Fallout computer game series, which is packed full of atomic-themed music from the 40s and 50s. But first, I must confess that I've never played it. I'm not really into computer games. I've never moved beyond Tetris and Lemmings. But why would you want to? Don't those two games provide everything you'd ever need? But my computer geek husband has played Fallout and he tells me the game has inbuilt radio stations and you can tune into them as you play and they evoke the atomic era through these old classic tunes. But, you know, Tetris... Lemmings. Why go elsewhere? Now, I've made a playlist of Atomic 1950s pop. It's on Google Play Music and you'll find a link to it on my Twitter and Facebook. You can find me on Twitter at Julie A. McDowell. McDowell is spelled with an A-L-L at the end. Uh, I'm also on Facebook under Nuclear Britain. This podcast episode, of course, has been purposely light and cheery. I did promise you that after the horrors we heard on last week's episode, which was about firestorms. And remember, if you like my podcast and want to support it with a donation each month, please consider becoming a patron. You can join me at patreon.com forward slash Atomic Hobo. And there are various different levels you can choose, many of which offer rewards, such as a postcard from my nuclear travelling, 
and having your name printed in the acknowledgement section of my book. Oh God, my book. (laughs) The deadline falls in a few short months. And let me thank, of course, all of my patrons. My latest one is Charlie Connolly, who signed up this week. So thank you, Charlie. And let me also thank Adam Gilmore, Craig Bushman, John Haynes, Tom Stickland, Yannick, Alan Christie, Helen McHale and Douglas Greenshields. So thank you everyone for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this slightly lighter, perkier podcast episode. No doubt we're back to ordinary horror next week. <laughs>